Welcome to In the Making. I'm Selena, and today's topic for this episode is going to be hardship. In this life, Jesus says that we will have troubles. And I want to be real and say uh, that kind of sucks, actually. I am not somebody who enjoys the fact that life is hard. Um, sometimes I think we, we face hardship in our life because of our own choices and decisions, um, the things that we do. But, but sometimes we just face hardship because other people are going through things and, and we're in relationship with others and that hurts us in some way or there, there's, we are sinned against by others. Um, but I think we just go through hardship in life because we live in a, in a broken and, and fallen world in general. Um, today I was actually thinking about the verse, uh, Psalm 147.3, and it says, He, being God, He heals all, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And what I was thinking about was how this verse actually acknowledges that there's going to be broken hearts and that there's going to be wounds, that that we experience hardship and that impacts us. And while God heals us um, and meets us in those times of hardship, there is just this reality that it sucks. It sucks to be wounded. Like I'm thinking of getting a gash on my arm. I'm not going to be like, yes. I'm broken. <laughs> I am bleeding and I'm going to have a scar, you know, um, that is not my disposition towards hard things. And, um, I think as we talk about God meeting us in the hardship, I do also just want to acknowledge that, that it's okay, that, um, it is painful. And even as we discuss with Suze and Justin today about hardship and hear their pain, I don't want to minimize the fact that they went through hard things. And even if God has met them through it and is doing a good work in it, that I think there's still a place for us to, to sit with both the joy of maybe what God is doing that is good, but also like the pain and the hurt in it as well. I think we can, we can experience both at the same time. And so even as the listener, you know, as you listen to this episode, I hope that um, you can join us in sitting in both of those feelings of pain and um, maybe joy of what God is doing. Yeah, so I want to introduce Suze and Justin. Um, I actually work with both of them, and it's it's been fun getting to know them and work with them. They're both very different people from me and think differently, and um, there's so much that I feel like I learn from them. Every time that they speak, they have a, a real relationship with God, um, and you see that in their lives as, as they live it. And there's hard things that have gone on in their lives, which I think we'll, we'll like get to hear a glimpse of. And I'm kind of, you know, weirdly excited for them to share their pain with us all so that we can learn more about them and learn more about God. But um, I'll let uh, Suze and Justin, why don't you guys introduce yourself a little bit? Aside from all the pain, what is something <laughs> else going on in your life? Or who are you? Who, how do you like to... Um, explain yourself to other people usually what i tell people is that uh, i'm married to someone who loves me i have three mm-hmm. kids who always want my attention and that's a good thing i think i spend my most favorite moments at the beach i live um, on vancouver island on the west coast and i love living out here i thought i came out here to save the island but truly it saved me and i'm thankful for that opportunity um, that god brought into play 
Uh, I love coffee beans. I love information. Um, I love what God has done in my life through the pain and also through the joy. And so even across that, you'll hear a little bit of my story, even across this painful experience. um, Yeah, we had three kids uh, in the midst of it. And uh, it reminds me of God's goodness in the midst of pain. Okay, me. Um, Thank you, Justin. Now I can just... uh just mirror everything that you said, but make it about me. (laughs) Um, I have two children. I'm single parenting um, currently. Um, I'm moving. I'm in the process of moving right now, which has its other, it's, I wouldn't necessarily call it a hardship, but it definitely has some hard things to it. Um, But uh, I'm also looking forward to uh, kind of a new start and a new experience. I would say I'm highly empathetic. I'm a highly empathetic person, but uh, affectionately self-effacing as well. So I might do a little bit of that on on the on the as we're talking today. Um, I'll probably downplay things, um, but I hope to be honest and uh, have some integrity as we talk as well. I, I appreciate that mini like disclaimer. I'm actually very similar, so I feel like you just gave me words to describe myself, like empathetic but self-effacing. Um, yeah, it's I'm like okay, note that for life because this is what you do. <laughs> but make sure you keep in affectionately. You know, yeah. I feel I feel like it, it draws people to me when I, um, mm-hmm. I don't know put myself down <laughs> yeah I, I noticed there was there's a part of me that does it to make other people feel better about themselves but oh I just put myself down because I'm worse than them anyway so <laughs> but God is moving even in in those things I think and teaching me more about what it means to accept that there's actually goodness in myself as well not just bad things mm-hmm. I hope Susie can experience that too <laughs> yes for sure <laughs> yeah so um, I want to give you guys both the opportunity to share your hardships and really how God has used hardship in your life to form you. Um, I'm going to pick Justin to go first since, you know, that's we did Justin first for the intro. So Justin, why don't you go ahead and share sure. a little bit about what, what your hardship is that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I think if most of us are honest, we have had lots of hardships across our life or, or maybe we try to ignore them, but certainly um, we've had our fair share. Um, the one that I'll speak about today, um, just in light of what we've probably been thinking about in this COVID season, um, is the hardship that's lasted over a decade for us. And uh, when I say us, I mean my wife and I. And um, wow, it seems like 10 years ago, um, depression came to live in our home and it fractured everything about us. It changed the shape of what we call life and it made everything that was beautiful, seemed dark and gloomy, and those shattered pieces we've been picking up ever since. Um, It was seemingly sudden and yet not. Uh, Only afterwards, after the the earthquake that changed our life, did we look back and see some of the the markers that indicate um, some of the challenges that come with um, those who struggle with mental illness. And so ever since, uh, for the last little while, or 10 years, we have lived with depression in our home, lurking around uh, and changing and filtering everything about our life. And so the way that I sometimes dramatically say it is, I, um, I married the same person twice. And the person that I knew before doesn't exist anymore. 
and the person that I love today who is the same physical person is utterly different. And learning to know and to love and to serve someone else has been probably the most difficult thing of my life. And no one ever gets married thinking that uh, they will get remarried or fall in love with someone else. And yet, Julie and I, as we've, I've asked her permission to share some of these stories, uh, has been true. She's a different person and I love her nonetheless. So that's probably been the most big uh, hardship of our life in the, in the past uh, while. Sometimes I like to say it as, um, I get that image of the broken stained glass is often what comes to mind when I think about our life, uh, especially when it comes to mental illness. And it's all those fractured pieces of our life that we're slowly putting back together. And it's something that glues, glues it together or holds it together. Often I've imagined that to be God's handiwork of gluing back together the, the fractured pieces of ourselves. I guess like the next question would be how how did God use this in your life? But I wonder should we hear Suze's story first and then go back to that? Yeah. So for my for me, um, I would say hardship in my life has been related to the diagnosis and um, death of my husband. Um, but when I was thinking about talking today or just sharing a bit of my story. I, I was trying to kind of like wear the different um, hard things I'm experiencing. I even looked up the definition of hardship where it's like severe, severe suffering um, and or um, privation. And then I looked up privation because I don't always know the definition of words. And uh, it's the loss or absence of quality or attribute that is normally present. Um, so I was thinking, yeah, this diagnosis of of cancer and then this death like there was loss in both of those things but then I also experienced I don't know when it began but this overwhelming sense of like shame um, that I carried and anxiety that I carried throughout the diagnosis and death and then um, probably up until the last couple years where I experienced some some movement some more significant movement in those areas so I was like feeling them out I'm like which one was harder (laughs) And I actually don't know what which one was harder. I experienced them both as um, more severe uh, suffering in my life. So, yeah, I could speak to either of those as we continue. Yeah, there's, I mean, even in both of your stories, there's such differences um, in the in the form of hardship that you've gone through. Um, one hardship of somebody who you love and who is close to you who is experiencing depression and that has um, impacts on you, um, as a person, because this is like your wife who you're journeying with, um, the mother of your children and, uh, the, you know, somebody who you love, who has changed in different ways and, uh, the loss of relationship, but even how, how that's impacted you as a person, like you recognize, oh, like there's shame that I've experienced through this hardship that has lingered. Um, yeah, I think in, in my own life, there's so many different kinds of maybe circumstances of hardship that I've gone through. Like um, my father passing away was a hardship, but um, even just re- like being a third culture kid and relating to my parents was a hardship. Um, growing up, like being an immigrant and like kind of being teased for having a British accent was a hardship um, or for, you know, like like classic immigrant issues of 
uh, having food that didn't look right or whatever. Um, but even um, like the hardship of being used by people as well and how all these things have, you know, produced different, different things in my life where I can see, like Sue said, like the shame or the pain or the loneliness and the isolation in which I, Jess and I already hear like some of that um, in your story. Um, but how have you seen God meet you in the midst of hardship and use that hardship to shape mm. you? I think the, the word that I would often describe my, my experience of loving someone through a painful circumstance. In the darkest of days, you know, Julie would hold up in the, or barricade herself in the bedroom for hours, sometimes days on end. And I would come home to a young child who hadn't been fed or hadn't been cleaned. And I really was asked, my, I had to ask myself the question, was it really worth it? Was ministry really worth it if my whole life at home was crumbling? And that memory still is really painful um, to come home and see your two-year-old child and he's trying to eat a granola bar, but he can't open the package and he's by himself. Um, I felt so lonely at that time. I felt as though God had left me in this broken place, in this yucky place, in this... um, I just kept asking God that question of why. Why now? Why me? What for? And um, I think in my best of moments, coming into some light, um, mostly through a mentor who asked me a few questions about what God might be doing through that process, what, what God might be doing through that very moment. And it finally put things in perspective for me as a workaholic, as a person who loves to achieve, as a person who in, just wants to take on new challenges, which is why we moved to the island to take on a new challenge. And here I was being faced with the interior life challenge. What would be most important? And I remember telling that mentor that my family was most important. So that meant a cost somewhere else. And so God met me in this place of challenging my perceptions of the world and challenging what I thought would be the most greatest priority. And I think I was, ah, I don't want to downplay it at the same time. I don't want to minimize it. I was sold that, that vision of, if you make a difference in someone else's life, then everything else will be fine. And somehow that belief that ministry or money or an MBA could somehow be a moat that protected your castle from pain or sorrow was such a lie. And it crumbled right before me. And I could see that good people and bad people all share the same experience of life. We experience hardship and suffering. And so I think God put those things upside down to give me an opportunity to grow in dependence of him. You know, sometimes uh, I'm a rower. I like to row, even though my body shape doesn't match it, but I love <laughs> rowing and living on an island and living near water. I think it just has become a part of my life. And uh, a few years ago, someone asked me what image comes to mind as I imagine God over this distance of depression. And it has been this imagery of rowing. And so I get in the boat and I row hard and I pull hard, attempting to get across to the other side. And of course, the purpose is to sweat. Of course, the purpose is to be challenged. And suddenly, um, a new image had popped into, into frame. And it was the pulling in of the oars and allowing some sail that I didn't even know was in this boat could actually take over. And that wind could pull me across to the other side. 
only recently, maybe six months ago or so, I was reading in a book about a saint, St. Brendan, uh, a, a, a Celtic pilgrim who God had planted in his mind to sail the seas. And so he had started out in Ireland and he actually discovered Newfoundland, Canada, several years later. But get this, 900 years before Christopher Columbus. And he penned this in his journal and I felt that it aptly described that moment for me as I drew in the oars. He cried out, God is our helper. He is our navigator and our helmsman. He shall guide us. Pull in the oars and the rudder. Spread the sail and let God do as he wishes with his servants and their boat. And suddenly, 900 years ago, someone penned the same phrase in my own mind. I think God is always orchestrating a shaping process through the pain and the hardship, and it produces good character even if we have the darkest of days. So moving from the why to the what, I think was the move that God had me. Why me to what are you doing? How am I being shaped through this process? As you were just sharing it, I was thinking about a season in, in my life as well where um, where essentially like I had, I was on staff for several years and then um, I went through a hard time where like somebody had uh, taken advantage, I guess, of me. And, um, and I remember asking God, like, why, like, haven't I served you for all these years? And, um, and I think like some, I, I realized much later, not in the moment, but much later that I was, um, like, like partially believing in some form of prosperity gospel. Like if I do all the good things that God wants me to do, God will give me good things. And um, he will see my hard work. He will see like that I'm changing and he will protect me from all harm. Um, but then it's like, where's Job in that situation? You know, what about this righteous man who did everything right? And yet, you know, it's like, bam, the whole family, children gone, cattle gone, riches gone, you know, um, and uh and that's hard like it's it, it doesn't make sense like I think in our world like we we want like you reap what you sow and I have reaped good so I should sow goodness um and then there's a question of like who is good <laughs> you know? do we really reap goodness but I think that we all fall into that trap at some point right of um of yeah like I I deserve good things because I've done good things for you God um yeah as a as a small kind of just reflection on that it's thinking about how much in my life I've wanted things to be black and white to be a clear start and clear end um, for it to, for them to know exactly where I was going and I think that's the addiction of you know Google Maps and the addiction of something telling you where to go exactly. Turn this way at this corner, face this direction. And there's, um, I think we get used to this clarity and this large amount of information. Um, I think Adam and Eve wanted it too. They wanted to know exactly what it meant. And I think my wrestling through scripture and the numerous stories I think of Joseph, there was so much ambiguity in his life, endless ambiguity to be sold out, to be a slave, to be forgotten again, 
and then to have a position of power, and then how did he wield it? He saved a people. And there's this living with ambiguity that I think we need to become more familiar with, even if it is painful and hard. Yeah, I think we often want to fast forward to the end of the, the story, you know? And, and and we all skip ahead. <laughs> and like all of us, like the whole idea of this podcast, like we're in the making, we're in yeah. the middle of it versus at the end. And so we only have glimpses of what, what God is doing in it. Um, and I'm, I am tempted always like fast forward, fast forward through the hard parts. Um, but God wants us, wants to meet us in the middle of it. Suze, what about for you? Where have you seen God meet you in the midst of the hardship? Yeah, just as you were speaking before, I think it's easy on this side of it. So I've done, I've processed it quite a bit. Um, So I want to be careful, um, even as I communicate about it, that I don't sound like, oh, that was nothing. Or, wow, look at me, like I came through something hard. Like, you know, it's one thing to talk about it when you're on the other side. Um, And uh, I by no means want to experience hardship again. Mm-hmm. Like honestly, it is a, <laughs> even as I think, even as I think I've grown in lament, um, I always resist lament um, when it is offered to me. Um, because yeah, who wants to go into pain? As you said at the beginning, right? Like if you um, get a gash on your arm. It's not like, yes, I'm so excited. Like, look at this pain. I mean, maybe different personalities, uh, have that, but certainly not me. I don't, I do not, uh, I don't welcome pain. I do a lot to avoid pain in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that going through like the diagnosis of, um, illness and through the death of my husband, I, I probably, um, God helped to form um, a greater dependence on him over time. Um, Certainly not every day, um, certainly not every month, (laughs) but over time, just a greater sense of a need for him um, and um, probably, hopefully, a greater uh, humility in life and uh, a welcoming of God's presence. you had shared a psalm at the beginning, and I was thinking about, uh, I actually don't know what psalm it is, but it says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, to those mm. who are crushed in spirit. Mm. And I think that I experienced the nearness of God, uh, certainly at the beginning of uh, of going through um, treatment, my husband going through treatment, and um, even just watching his experience of his own um, fa- like failing health. Um, and he actually said, why not me? That was his first response. Um, and so he wrote a little bit about that and felt that God had prepared him through. Um, this is his makeup. He's, he's definitely uh, more of an intellectual than me, but he his theology of suffering, he felt really prepared him well for what he faced. And then I got to just kind of watch his... Um, just gracious way about him, um, and how he, um, yeah, how he depended on God. I think I was in freeze. That's a term that I've learned, um, recent, like in the last couple of years from doing some trauma therapy and I had promised myself. So while, while I definitely experienced the nearness of God and being formed in like, um, just like a palpable experience of God, I also, um, felt like I developed some, um, 
I don't want to say unhealthy, but it just is what it was. Like it was what it was. I, my body rose to the occasion and said, promised myself I need to be strong. Um, and so I've just in the last couple of years kind of processed that that was a vow or like a promise that I made that, um, yeah, I, I can't say it was bad or not. It's just something that I've had to process since and, um, kind of through prayer and through therapy, um, kind of reimagine like that God was with me, that God was near. So as to kind of bring down, um, some of the like adrenaline and activation that can be present when you experience something hard again, it's called like you get triggered, um, by a current situation that kind of brings you back. I was never diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, but, um, I, I certainly experienced a lot of physical, um, yeah, physical experiences of like my kids, they would have like a cold and I would go right to meningitis. And, um, there's many times where I just felt like I needed to take them to the hospital that I was having panic attacks because my body had experienced the trauma of a diagnosis that was not expected. And there was nothing that we could do to prepare for it. So I was kind of like, my, my body was just like, where is the threat? What do we need to prepare for? Because it was overwhelming. And so, yeah, it's just taken a lot of time to process it and come to a place where I'm not, um, not afraid. So yeah, I would say that God formed me in prayer, growing in prayer, um, independence, and also in an interest, I think, in understanding what's happening in the body, like in our, our physical experience, our emotional <laughs> experience, um, and our like cognitive as well. And so maybe just appreciating the whole person that God has made me to be and not, um, I guess, judging a physical response that maybe I don't want to have or I think is not, I'm like, why are you doing that body? <laughs> but it just is like, um, yeah, our bodies are, are amazing and broken. Like, it's like, it's like the, yeah, this tension that we walk in, like we're sinful and like God has also made us to be just beautiful people that are very resilient. So I don't know. I have found, yeah, it's been a journey to, um, kind of discern and process what is at play at different times. And, um, hopefully God has grown me in wisdom (laughs) in applying what is needed or understanding what is needed in different seasons. Um, yeah, hopefully becoming less judgmental, but that, that is a strong, it's a strong thing. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, how old were you when, when Andrew passed away? That's a great question. Thanks for asking that because my, so he was diagnosed when I was 25 and I was 27 when he, when he passed away. Um, and so your brain isn't fully developed until you're 25. So even like some of the things I experienced as a hardship, I just didn't even have what I needed brain wise to go through it. Um, not that anyone is fully prepared to, um, watch their husband die. Um, but yeah, anyways, that just is some information part of my story that I think is important. Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking about that because there's so so many things happen to us when when we are young that we 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 honestly don't have control over even when we're we're older, you know? Like um Justin, how old were you when 
when you realized Julie was um, depressed and experiencing depression? I, I think I just turned 30. Um, hmm. So it was painful. Uh, yeah. Um, Julie was younger. Julie was 28, I think, at the time. Um, I mean, I, I think I said before, like, we, it was shocking and it, it disrupted our life and it turned it upside down. But when we looked back after spending like the next full year talking with counselors and therapists and dietitians and nutritionists and doctors and getting on medication and changing combinations, it's we then discovered some of the, the markers throughout our life um, that were, you know, they may say they're tra- you know, trademarked towards uh, a likely diagnosis. And, and then we came, then came the, the shame of not knowing who to tell and, and how do you share that and to whom do you trust? And to be honest, like there were several people that didn't react very well. Um, I'll, I'll pray for you, they'll say. They'll pat me on the back or pat us on the back and, and send us off as if somehow they would fix something. Or um, I think the worst ones were calling it sin and, and waiting for it for us to somehow habitually get better. And um, that was the worst. That was that was painful to, to trust someone and to not be met with empathy. And so we longed for that kind of response, but we didn't always get it. And it took several tries at finding people to receive us. Um, when we met people who would cry along with us, who would walk with us through the pain and who would receive us uh, in the processing of grief that we didn't even know was grief, uh, letting go of what we once knew headed into a future we have not yet seen. And in that liminal space, yeah, that space in between, we didn't know. Um, there was a really great book I read during that season, um, The Land in Between. Jeff Manning wrote this book, A Pastor in the States, and he talked about this, this liminal space between. And um, I was like, yeah, of course the Israelites knew this. They knew, they longed for what they had, even though they were in slavery. And they wandered for decades, hunting for this promised place. And God was shaping them through the process. Um, that was true, of course. It wasn't uh, always pretty. Sorry, Selena, I kind of got lost in that question that you asked. Um, thought about that story. That's okay. I actually got lost in your answer because <laughs> there were so many. There's so many things there. Of, um, I was just thinking of how you mentioned that there were people who came alongside you in not so helpful ways. Of. Um, you know, like, let me pray for you. Like, I, I have a really good friend, um, Graham Hines, and he is partially he is partially blind, and people are like, let me just, like, pray that this goes away. And um, that isn't necessarily how God meets us in the midst of hardship. He doesn't just take away the painful things in our lives or heal us immediately, but he he does promise to be there and meet us in those things. Um, and I think that sometimes Christian buy into this lie of, um, God, like God can do all. So he must do all. Um, and while it's true, God does sometimes do the miraculous. Sometimes, you know, you do pray and God heals you of depression or heals your eyesight. Like I, I want at least to believe that God does those things. And from scripture, we see those things. And even from, I have people in my life who have had these miraculous experiences. And so 
I do trust that God is able to do those things. And that he, and then I think it's harder to trust that he will do those things for me, though. That's like my honest statement there. Um, but um, there are, he still meets us in the midst of the hardship, even if he doesn't take that away. And he teaches things to us over years. And um, I even like as Suze was talking, I was thinking about how um, when I was 17, I went through a really hard experience um, where I did. I was so afraid that I had a, a bit of an out-of-body experience. Um, but in that out-of-body experience, I, am, I actually had this deep sense that God was with me and that though that experience was partially due to my own choices and partially due to the choices of um, those who were wronging me as well, that God was not angry with me but that he actually felt sorry for me. And um, that prompted me to pray to him to get me out of that situation, to save me from what I was experiencing. And um, actually later that evening was when I fully dedicated my life to God and said, God, I just want to love you back. And so I, I can directly see how God used such a painful and hard thing in my life to to point me to him and the love that he had for me that, you know, I I remember when I made that decision to fully commit my life to him, I was like, man, God knew that I was going to make those choices. God knew that those things were going to happen to me. And while I felt shame and disgusting, God said, I actually died for you for this and I love you. Um, and there are still wounds from that. Like that was when I was 17 years old and I'm 35 now and I'm still experiencing wounds from it. It hasn't fully healed. Like I'm still learning kind of similar to what, what you were saying, Suze, too, like um, that I sometimes disconnect from my body and like to acknowledge actually like the body is good and I need to be present in the body and there's something spiritual about my body um, and loving it and being there. Uh, in the midst of it. I'm just learning that now at 35. Um, but, but there are things like that 17-year-old girl is still part of me, um, and there's still pain there. And I see how God uses that as I meet other people who have experienced these deep wounds as well. Um, but Justin, you also brought up, there, so there are people who didn't do the right thing. And I'm sure that we can all talk about the people who <laughs> did not meet us well in the midst of our hardship. We all have friends um, like Job who mean well, but say and do hurtful things. But I want to know, how do people come around you and meet you in that pain and really love you in the midst of it so that we can learn to be those people as well? I think I think of two people that like physically were there and um as so i think that the things that they did or the the persons they are um came into focus and i think i found out who are the kind of people you want to walk alongside through life and there are people with integrity and with character and the way that they walked with me and the way they walked with both of us as a couple as people who were wrestling with this new reality of life they just walked Often it was this movement of walking with and being alongside and caring for, being cared for. For a, I even still have problems. I'm not sure if many may track with me, but I'm a person who just doesn't really like help. Um, I like want to do it all myself. And um, as a well-to-do person, that is a struggle. And as a person who 
has to trust someone else with that need, um, it was a disarming. It was a eye-opening. It brought new things into play, and and I didn't realize I needed those kinds of friends. Those kinds of friends who would actually see me ugly cry and still love me afterwards. Um, who would uh, t- who would cook dinner because I couldn't do it anymore, and um, who could see my loneliness and uh, offer friendship in the moment. And um, I think there was this one one gentleman who I appreciated the most, and I still do today. Um, his experience of life, I didn't know until I started to share our own story. And he shared with me, after like two or three meetups of walking and talking and coffees, and then he openly shared with me, even though he had, I think, been holding it back for a while, purposely, that he was a person in his marriage who struggled with depression on a daily basis. And I had never known that until that point. And suddenly I was face to face with another man, same age as me, similar life story, and he's the one struggling. And I'm opening my heart to him, telling him, how do I do this? How do I love someone? And it's almost as if he could hear his wife's voice as we walked alongside each other. And it became a a really beautiful opportunity to see how God would interplay and intermingle those learnings and those lessons. And it was interesting to watch that being shaped through that friendship. So yeah, walking alongside someone who can be trusted to carry your story, to serve you, and and to accept that service. Those were some of the the markers, I think, in that journey in time. Yeah, I think uh, for me, um, it was the right people at the right time. I think I feel like God provided um, different people at different times. And so... um, so sometimes even with that question, I'm like, uh, that you had asked previously, Selena, like how we can be the person that others, that would be helpful to others. And I think we're all like, we're diverse. Uh, like if even if you just look at the Christian, you know, uh, context or Christian community, um, mm-hmm. we have different personalities, different skill sets, different things that we offer someone. Um, and so I don't think we need to be all things mm-hmm. to all people, even though Paul says he <laughs> is when he, in order to win some, um, <laughs> that's a different yeah. context, but, mm-hmm. um, there were many people at the beginning that were so helpful practically. Um, there's such a burden practically, uh, when you're, when you're overcome emotionally and, um, just like traumatic things happening in your life. So I had a lot of people that just were there present to, do what needed to be done, um, and that I didn't even have to direct them. So that was such a gift to me. Uh, and then there were others that were really good at listening. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you had said, Justin, people that just cried mm-hmm. with me whenever I allowed myself to cry because I actually didn't cry mm-hmm. as much. That's some of the things I've been processing as well. Like I didn't, I had to create days because my children were young, three and a half and nine months old. I needed to like take a day. I'm like, this is my grief day. People are watching the kids. And I was like, Lord, bring on the tears. Like I would start the day and say like, I'm trusting you that this is my day to process and then close it up so I can go back and um, care for the kids. So I had lots of people that helped practically with childcare. And um, so, yeah, I found people. Then there were people that just prayed with me, prayed for me. Many people have prayed for us. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think I knew intuitively who would be 
safe people at that time because mm-hmm. um, there is yeah there's definitely people that from their own compulsion I guess want to be um, I mean we're mixed we're, as people we're just mixed motives so it's not like the people that were safe are always safe every single minute or <laughs> for every single person um, but for me um, what that meant was listening to me um, kindness helping me to be kind to myself um, like you're like acknowledging the hardship like you're going through something difficult like of course you're not going to be able to do xyz um i yeah those have been statements i've even used in my own kind of therapy like of course you feel that like that kind of um normalizing uh, i had a lot of people that were helpful that way um yeah i mean sometimes you are sinful for sure um so I didn't necessarily need people to call out my sin. I find what's usually more um, helpful for me is to know that I'm secure, that I'm loved by God, and that usually draws me into repentance where necessary. Mm-hmm. So I'm grateful that there was no people in my life. I'm really sad uh, for you, Justin. And mm-hmm. um, But I think with cancer, you don't say to someone like, you know, I mean, people did with Jesus, like said, like who sinned his family or, you know, like there probably is a theology out there, right. That you won't get sick if you're, if you're, if you have enough faith, but thankfully we didn't have any of that. Yeah. I think that I I kind of envied that experience of this sounds terrible and it sounds morbid even, but when I hear painful and real and life-changing stories like yours, Suze, I've often I kind of wanted those kinds of stories because it's very easy to market, um, very easy to see. And, um, you know, for those who are listening, those mental illness is this invisible disease and no one can see it. And it's not as identifiable as MS or identifiable as someone passing a loved one. Because we can't see those things, people look at you and they wonder, like, how is that possible? I, they don't, I don't see evidence of it. And that's when I when I track back to that original thought. It's something that lurks around and, and continues to live with us. And even now, a decade later, it's still there. And yet, Julia is more healthy than she's ever been in life. And there's been lots of changes over the last ten years. And um, recognizing that that's invisible, and you don't have to be alone in the dark. Uh, you can come up, and you can find people who will shed some light. You can find people who will be um, those binders to, to re-put those shards of glass back into play. You know, I think, um, yeah, as a as last image, as you can tell, I think through imagery. And um, a long time ago, several years ago, somebody got me into bonsai trees, uh, the art of, of cutting and, and crafting these beautiful small dwarf trees. And um, something that really fascinated with me for a long time, I just enjoyed the process, the pruning, and the fixation and the control. Uh, maybe that's probably where it comes from, control. And um, I just realized that, you know, these beautiful trees still produce fruit, still shed shade for others. And they look like giants in their small form. And yet they are trees built under the conditions of limitation, built under restriction, purposely pruned away good so better might be had. I have often wondered if God, what is what God's doing, making all things new, all things to flourish, all things to bring fruit. 
but through constriction, through limitation. Mm-hmm. I think God is still good through that process. And even in those dark moments, I have to recognize that he's a master craftsman shaping and designing something through that sorrow and that pain. Mm. Yeah, I have to be careful when I talk about my story too because it is very clean. Like, it's like... There's not a lot of, um, well, there's no oppression. Um, there's no um, others like uh, mocking or um, being unhelpful in that way. So although it was a very real hardship, that's why when I said at the beginning, it's hard for me to tell which one was harder, the like illness and death of my husband or the like pervasive shame and anxiety that I've experienced. Uh, that I've only felt any relief in in the last year or so, um, because they're it's they're very different um, experientially. Like and yeah, there, there's a confusion that comes with mental health that isn't always present um, in something as clean as like again. I don't want to minimize my pain because like the diagnosis totally changed our lives and it was like horrible. <laughs> But I don't know, I just even think of like current events. Um, yeah, it was like racial injustice. Mm. And um, I, I, I followed a woman talking about um, her experience of sexual abuse. And like those, those types of hardships, I just can't even pretend um, to know what that feels like. And I would, I would want to be careful um, that I don't, in my sharing of my experience, um, yeah think i'm speaking for all hardship mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so. exactly yeah i think there are so many different things that can be difficult for different people even that that all of our unique hardships that we go through in life are tailored to who we are mm-hmm. like what one person might find hard another person might not find mm-hmm. as difficult or as hard yeah. um and yeah, we just all have our own our own battles and, and there's uniquenesses and all the troubles that might come for us. Um, but I think another thing that I was thinking about is how the things that really hurt or wound us produce a good hatred <laughs> in us as well. Nice phrase. Yeah, like I, I was even just talking with a friend who was sharing about the, like the pain of... Um, pornography in her life in in the past like her first memory of pornography and how it's like sat with her and now how she is so actively uh, fighting it and working towards helping um, high school students address the issue of the pervasive pornography in our world and how damaging it can be and and she said oh I realized it was because I was so hurt from the first time that I was exposed to it and and I remember thinking like, wow, like that was a deep wound that hurts you to this day. And yet that wound is something that you are using in this life to bring that regeneration of life into the lives of other people, that you are bringing restoration through your hatred of something that happened to you that should not have happened. And um, I think that's true in my life as well, where the things that have hurt me deeply, I hate those things. I hate them so much. <laughs> and I think God hates them. Like, I don't think he's like, yay, good, good, 
like I'm so glad those people used you I'm so glad your father died I'm so glad those you know friends betrayed you or whatever I think God like he he was wounded he was a man of sorrows Mm -hmm. wounded physically on the cross um, emotionally by people and he understands the pain that we go through um, and yet he uses his own wounds mm-hmm. to redeem our souls, all of Amen. our souls. Um, and so I just, I see that in your lives as well, how the, the hardships and the wounds that you have gone through are redemptive in your lives um, too. Hopefully. Man, I, uh, I really wrestled with like what to talk about for hardship. Because this one, as I tell a story about my wife, I didn't want to throw her under the bus and make it sound like she was some neglectful person. We had three children in this past decade, and she's been a loving mother to each of them. And she's been alongside me through lots of change, Um, change of roles, change of jobs, um, into new school. Like, there's just lots of things she's been alongside. And and yet, I think I, I was, to be honest... Just between us, I, think. I was just too afraid to deal with the racial hurt that I've experienced as a third culture kid across my life. And only now am I starting to recognize that I have been triggered on so many occasions in the past few months. And uh, it tracks back to trauma from such an early age. Um, somebody, I think it was Julie actually, we were sitting down for dinner. She asked me, what's the first memory you have of racism? And is it sickening that I think I was in preschool? Sickening. And uh, I, as I what kind of wish she didn't ask me that question as we began dinner and realized there's just so much there. So I'm not prepared to talk about it just yet, um, but just recognize that there's been lots of hardships and, and yeah, it is, sure, it is therapeutic to talk about them and to have that story shared and, and work through. Um, and there are so many, I am not the only one who's experienced incredible pain um, through the hurt that others have caused through their statements and behavior. And t- to be honest, some t- I feel a little bit guilty in the sense of clean. Suze, when you say clean, my story feels clean, even though in the mess, like, it felt really gross. And there was more days than I like to share that were uglier than I talk about today. Um, I think that's what hardship kind of does. It makes you a little dirty. And I don't mean to be cliche about it. I, I don't. Um, I remember I was looking, (laughs) sorry for the gentleman out there. Um, I was looking for a handbag, um, a weekender bag the other day, uh, several months ago. And I was uh, in a shop asking uh, a a leather, what do they call those guys? An an artisan. And I asked him like, do you have a bag that just won't mar? You know, it's going to stay its color. It's going to not change. And it's going to be this, this brown. And he looked at me dumbfounded and was like do you not understand leather (laughs) and he told me that it's the marking and the marring that creates the character of the bag that personalizes it to your life and your story and the way you've lived and suddenly i recognized the joy and the beauty that comes through the marring of leather and saw it as actually character building and shaping and realized yeah actually i want my bag to age and to show that it has (laughs) has signs that i've lived a life and in many ways, in my best of days, in my best of moments, maybe even this one right now, I can say that's what I hope for. That I am marred and shaped because of it, and it's better. Yeah, and I think what you said there, Justin, about not ready to talk about it, 
I think there is, like, I don't necessarily believe that time heals all things. I actually think that's, that is false, but, um, there is a safety and a, like a protective quality that's needed for people to process, um, process their hardships, I think, um, and be able to, um, understand not to control, like there's an understanding that has a control aspect to it, right? Like I just need to, what's the Mm -hmm. theology here? Mm -hmm. What's the like truth here? I'm not against it's good theology and truth. I'm very much about that. Well, one thing that I, that I thought, even as you're talking about that time doesn't heal all wounds, I was thinking of, um, Jesus's physical wounds and how even in his resurrected body, he actually still had the scars of um, the resurrection and and um, that brings on an interesting question of you know will we have our scars in heaven I don't know I don't <laughs> want to get into that um, <laughs> but um, but like our our wounds are are deep and there is something um, that God does it's like it's the proof of um, His death for us but I think that. There's also that that beauty in in the wounds as well. That um, I think of the Japanese art of kintsugi. It came up so much, so much in this season for me. And even as I broke several pottery, that's beautiful. Um, I broke several pottery in in my during this like COVID season. You know, you're in home, and so you don't know if you're realizing you're more clumsy because you're breaking (laughs) all your stuff or like if this is just your norm and you're not at home to break all your stuff all the time but I've broken so many things um and I'm like I should get into this art but the whole idea is that there are these broke like you break pottery um or pottery breaks and then you you melt down gold to fill in the holes to make it into something actually more beautiful and I think that we can sit in that tension of wounds are awful and yet God God can restore it and make it into something that is more beautiful in our Mm -hmm. lives at the same time Mm -hmm. Um, and I I do want to ask you just a, a question on that is how do we wrestle with that how do we wrestle with the fact that we know God is doing something good in the midst of my pain and my suffering, and yet I am experiencing deep pain (laughs) and suffering that I don't want to be in. What does that look like to be in that period? Mm. It's a great question. It's a tough one to process. I would want to clarify it maybe a little bit. Um, Because I think there is, this hasn't come up as we've been discussing, but I think there is unnecessary suffering as well. Um, Like, I mean, we have a medical system for a reason. Like, we don't just like, um, you know, you get, I don't know, a cold, you're not going to take Tylenol. Like, we would, like, you would take Tylenol for a fever, you know, you would put a band aid on a wound so it did, like, you'd get stitches so you don't bleed out. Um, Like, there is, yeah, we don't just keep open wounds, um, some of them. So I just think we should be careful too that we don't like say <laughs> all suffering is good and welcome. Um, 
but I don't pretend to know what is, <laughs> this is where I really know my finiteness. Mm-hmm. It's like, God is God and mm-hmm, I am not. Mm-hmm. He decides, he decides <laughs> just like with Joseph, we mentioned Joseph before, right? Like Joseph was able to say after that whole time, after having those dreams, like what you meant for evil, God meant for good, right? Like this suffering that I experienced had a purpose. Um, and I don't, pretend to say like God can't redeem all things and God is not in the business of like using all things for his glory and our good. But, um, I don't know. I, I think there's also relief that he offers as well. And also like protection from unnecessary harm. So I'm sorry, I don't have good examples right now. Maybe because we talked about it is like, um, well, even like pornography, sexual abuse, like racial injustices, like oppression, um, the things that we do to each other, like the sin, it's probably beyond this discussion, but there is a case for um, unnecessary hardship, I think, too. I think it's, I actually think it's really good to, to state that, that some, some suffering and hardship is completely unnecessary. Yeah. And I don't know it like if we will know why those things happen you know um i think god welcomes us to ask the question why that we are allowed to go before him and say why and be broken um even if the response is silence but yeah thank you for bringing that up this um unnecessary hardships choosing choosing more pain at the same time it's uh, i am i'm struggling to just to identify it as like, you know, having children, I think, and, and walking with young adults on the everyday basis, you kind of see people choose. And even if I think back to my own, you know, my moments of, of youth, I made decisions that were harmful. Should I have done that? Should I have treated her that way? Should I have taken that thing? Should I have cheated on, you know, like this, all of those things are still were a part of my life and in my youth and my rebellion. Mm-hmm. I think I accepted them as normal everyday life. I kind of wish I could turn back the clocks, as many of us would, to erase those things. Because they were unnecessary. I chose them as if they were somehow going to fix things, and they didn't. And uh, I, Maybe I just unknowingly chose them, too. Um, I don't know that that was bad. You don't recognize the, the flailing of a tantrum and maybe who it hurts at the time. Anyhow, there's, there's collateral to it. Well, my final question to you would be, what is one thing that you'd like to leave students who are in the midst of pain and hardship right yeah. now? What would you like to share with them? I think two things come to mind that I have thought about. One is, if you ever wanted to grow in intimacy with God, this will probably be the way that you will. You may not initiate it initially, but God will meet you in the midst of that suffering. And um, there's this book I read as a young child. Um, it's called um, Everyone's Going on a Bear Hunt. And uh, it's one of those rhythmic books. It's like a poetic book or a poem book or whatever. And uh, it goes, uh, everyone's going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. And then they see an obstacle. And the part that I love the most is they see this deep, dark forest. And look at the forest and they say, I can't go over it. I can't go under it. I must go through it. You turn the page and there reads, stumble trip, stumble trip, stumble trip. And you recognize that it is not God at the end or the after of the obstacle. It is God through the obstacle. 
and it's he's meeting you along the way in the midst of those things and he's shaping you through that process so you will definitely grow in patience and in intimacy and in mercy and in compassion and if you long to be a person of of mission and of growth and of faith then the hardship will shape it the second thing i'd like to say is and this is the one that i wish i could not say to myself a majority of people a majority of people walk through suffering and pain it is to be expected suffering is actually the way of christ and so i don't mean it to be a downer but i think jesus authentically knew this he lived it through the suffering of the cross so those are the two things i think i want people to know maybe what i would offer from experience maybe or just from my own experience um is to remember um well maybe both remember you're not alone and don't go it alone um so remember that god is with you um there is hope um now that looks different for different circumstances like sometimes the hope isn't realized until eternity for different scenarios um um so yeah to remember you're not alone jesus is with you and then to not go at it alone to ask for help um whether that be from people um whether that be some extra like medical help in different scenarios um like in mental health maybe medication will help um to get some stability um yeah, that there is, um, there are people and there are resources that can help you in your hardship. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Um, I think those are good things to leave with students, and I hope that students are able to internalize what you've shared with them, and that we are able to recognize the God who, who meets us mm-hmm. in our pain, um, even when it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. After every episode, we like to give you, the audience, just a couple of questions to think through what God might be doing in the midst of you listening to this podcast. And so here are some questions to reflect on. Psalm 46.3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Where have you experienced wounds as a result of hardship in your life? In what ways might God be speaking into those wounds as a result of hearing from Justin and Suze? Where might you be experiencing shame as a result of going through hard things in life? If you're in a season of hardship now, what do you want to communicate to God? If you're able to talk to him about it, do that now. What was hard for you to hear in this podcast and why was it hard? 
how might God be calling you to be present with others in their wounds and hardship? Thank you for listening to this episode and engaging on the topic of hardship. No matter where you are, if you are in a hard place right now or not, or whether you are able to receive God's help at this time or not, know that you are loved and cared for. I hope to see you on the next episode.